Welcome to the Bodies by Brent podcast. I am your host, Brent Ruska, and this episode of Bodies by Brent podcast will leave you setting goals larger than you believe possible. Our guest this week is an Ironman U.S. Infantry veteran, author of 25 Hours a Day, and founder and CEO of Bear Performance Nutrition. He shares his story of how his eating disorder in high school led him to run a supplement business out of his college dorm room. He then turned his U.S. Army loan into a business loan to launch his eventual eight-figure supplement business. Nick shares his whole journey from being a bodybuilder, weightlifter, to eventually running marathons to Ironmans, and the whole journey in between. A lot of wisdom here. On this episode, Nick will share the importance of a morning routine, the mental and spiritual experience of going through an Ironman, the secret supplement you can use to reduce your coffee crash, the importance of constant deep self-reflection, and what you need to go one more. I'm very grateful for Nick coming down and sharing his wisdom. Super humble guy, super great guy, amazing supplements, and you know I'm not a big supplement guy. I can't wait for you guys to dive into this episode, but before you do, have we connected yet? If you want to connect with me, you want podcasts sent directly to you, and when I eventually drop a beginner's strength training course to get you in the best shape of your life, you want to be subscribed. So all you got to do is text 1-512-488-4223. Again, that's 512-488-4223. You'll get podcasts sent to you and any other products such as shirts or weightlifting courses coming out soon. All right, guys, let's dive into this week's episode and thank you for being here and listening. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yep. I appreciate you. Yeah, man. I appreciate you just driving down from Georgetown, right? Georgetown is about 40, eh, 35 minutes. Okay. But I, I will say your your commitment to consistency yeah. is what paid off. Like I saw your comments, your DMs, your messages yeah. on all, all the podcast stuff. Yeah, awesome. I was like, you know what, let's do it. I, I mean, I love your stuff. I love your studio. You know, um, how long have you been podcasting now? Consistently, I'd say like eight months. Yeah. Podcasting for me is one of those things where I tried it. You know, the same thing from like getting into YouTube. Yeah. When I got into YouTube, it was like I bought a camera. I tried it. I wasn't super into it. I was a little discouraged. Mm -hmm. I pulled back and then I fully committed. Same with the podcast. Like I, I did with my toes in a little bit. Yep. And then I, pull, you know, Priority shifted, business got busy, podcast wasn't priority. Once we built out the studio, I had no excuse not to, you know, commit. Yeah. It's so like now it's two episodes a week. Yeah. It's like having a gym in your house. You're like, shit, I gotta train. You gotta put it to use. You spend the money. You, it, same thing with YouTube. Like, pure example, I was off and on when I was recording my phone. And when I finally invested money, like all of my money into an actual camera, I was like, I gotta use this camera now. Yeah, that's awesome. How long have you been in Georgetown? So it's funny. Um, I got to Texas in 2014 okay. with the military. Yeah, I was in Temple, Texas when I was stationed at Fort Hood. And then we started pushing south when I got out of the military. So me and my wife actually lived two miles from like this studio right here. Oh, at one point, we were yeah. right off Barton Springs. Yeah. Um, and then business got busy, so we pushed back north towards Round Rock, Georgetown area. We've been in Georgetown for three, three and a half years now. I like it, but dude, I miss Austin so much. Oh, I bet. There's a vibe here, right? I'm still down here like 
two, yeah. three times a week. You run while you're out here, right? I'll come run here. We have business meetings here all the time. Yeah. But like the energy of Austin, I tell people all the time, it's, it's hard to explain. It's like this big city and it's getting bigger and bigger by the day, but it still feels small. Like you run into the same people in the trail. Um, I haven't found a city that I enjoy more than Austin. I know. It, it's got such an amazing creative vibe as well. It, and nature is just really integrated into the whole thing. So it feels like I'm in a, it doesn't feel like I'm in a city. It's like, it feels like I'm in a town in some ways, you know, no matter how big it gets. One of my favorite places to run, there's this neighborhood behind SoCo. Okay. And you're like a block off of downtown, yep. right? Like, But like, as soon as you enter that neighborhood, you feel like you're in the middle of like a suburb somewhere. It's yeah. one of my favorite places to run. And what's interesting about running in Texas is everyone thinks Texas is flat. Now, like, I hit more hills running in Austin than almost anywhere else I run. Do you have actually, I, I love training outside and I love doing stair workouts. Do you have any favorite spots you like to train, like any hill work or stair work? Have you been able to find anything like that? There is, there's a hill. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on this neighborhood. Yeah, I am too, because I think I live right next to it. I know what you're talking about. It's like older looking homes, right? It is. There's a lot of character. There's yeah. a hill back there that I like to hit once in a while. But if I come downtown and run, it's I'm running either um, running the trails around the lake or just like that 10-mile Ladybird loop. Yeah. Like that is one of my favorite trails to run. It's 10 easy miles. This past summer, we did a 50-mile run overnight. Yeah, We started at like 9 p.m., and we hit that 10-mile loop over and over again. But that's my favorite place to run. The, the, like the energy when you come downtown Austin on a Saturday, Sunday morning is just extreme yeah i love it and so you've been podcasting but you've built an amazing business you got a supplement company uh you have a training business like program right do Correct. you do you also have a gym that people go to or is that just your private gym for your workers gym's the it's private yeah yeah it's i see nice. i remember seeing it online i was like i wish something like that was in austin because it's so cool and i i haven't seen anything like that in austin where you could just have a membership and go somewhere where you just have amazing equipment in there, just like a true strength training, just training facility. We love it. Uh, the employees, the team, they'll either use it before work or after work. Someone's always in there, right? And especially like right now in, in, in summer, yeah. you know, it's middle of June. It's 100 plus degrees. You throw those garage doors open, turn the AC off, and it's just like a sweat box. That's like <laughs> one of my favorite ways to train. Oh, yeah. I love it, too. There's actually a gym down here. I don't know if you've heard of it yet. It's called Collective. Okay, yeah. Um, it's off of SoCo. Collective is a really cool gym. If you haven't checked it out yet, okay, yeah. that's one I highly recommend. Okay, I'll check it out. Well, one one main reason I had you uh, you know, be on the podcast is just achievement. You know, you've achieved so much. And you talk a lot about how military played such a big role in kind of developing your discipline and your mindset and your philosophy. And so I wanted to hear a little bit about, you know, what were some of the things you took from being in the military? But also my other bigger question is for people that never were in the military or have not been in something where they've been instilled discipline and grit, how can they develop that in their life or find something that's like a program to help develop that? Yeah, let me, uh, let me unpack some of that. Yeah, yeah. So the military, I, I, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about discipline. I learned a lot about teamwork. Um, 
and leadership from my time in the military. But even prior to going into the army, it's like my trajectory was I wanted to go into the military. I wanted to join the army. And that was primarily triggered by watching my cousin. His name was Matt. Um, and it was around 2006, 2007. So I was 16, 17 years old. 2006, 2007, obviously war was very kinetic. There's a lot going on. I saw him coming to and from multiple deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. And I saw the way he changed as, as a man. He matured. He grew. He became more confident. And I saw that. I observed that. And I said, I want that for myself. So I applied for, for an Army, Army, uh, Army ROTC scholarship. So I got the scholarship. I went to school. The military paid for my school. I had a military obligation after college. And that was kind of my trajectory to go and commission as an infantry officer into the army. But even prior to all of that, I believe I had a pretty interesting dynamic of family growing up. So my dad's side of the family, for example, the Bears, they were dairy farmers in central Pennsylvania. So I watched my grandfather and, and his extended family. They would wake up every morning at 4 a.m. They'd go milk the cows. Every night after dinner, they'd go milk the cows. They milk the cows every day, twice a day. Wow. And like my grandfather was just like one of the hardest working men I've ever, ever watched. And what's interesting now is like there's this, this hustle culture, like this grind, this hustle that people are, are aspiring to achieve. Mm -hmm. And when we look at our, our parents or our grandparents who they didn't have social media to talk about hustle culture. <laughs> that was just the way of life. Yeah. Right. Like I'm waking up at four. I'm going to milk the cows. That's what I got to do. And then at night after dinner, I got to go milk the cows again. And then we got to watch the weather to make sure uh, this crop yield is going to be strong this year. And if it's not like all hell breaks loose, everyone's stressed out. So that was my, my dad's side of the family. My mom's side of the family is all military. So my uncle, my cousins, my grandfather on that side all had, military foundations so like i had this dynamic of watching one side of the family dairy farmers the other side military both very disciplined in, in their own way wow. and i think that laid a really strong foundation for me growing up when i was growing up i, I you know i obviously wasn't saying oh this is going to be great for me but now in retrospect looking back yeah super grateful to have kind of that perspective and it was never a this is how you're supposed to live your life. This is what you should do. It was just, I learned through observation. And then, you know, joining the military and, and after commissioning in the army, I was out in school in Western Pennsylvania. I got sent to Fort Benning, Georgia for a year where I did ranger school, airborne school, the infantry officer basic course. So I was in Fort Benning for a year before uh, being sent to, to Texas where I was stationed at Fort Hood before I, um, you know, I got out of the military in 2017, but during that time, I had the opportunity to be an infantry platoon leader. I learned a lot about developing a team, building a team, learned a lot about myself and other people. So discipline was instilled through that experience. Mm. I, mean, I think the military is one of the best places to learn leadership, discipline, uh, setting goals, achieving goals, working towards a mission, mm. and being selfless in that mission. I mean, there's, there's no option to be selfish in a mission through an organization like the military. So those experiences growing up, I believe 
were fundamental to put me to where I am right now and what I've done. But I'd say like if people want to achieve levels of discipline or or some sort of foundation in their life, a lot of that is through experience, mm-hmm. trying new things, doing new things, and through that setting your goals larger than you believe is achievable. Mm-hmm. So I've heard, have you heard you talk about like 10xing it? You started to apply just like set goals way more out there than you even were thinking about. I think you have to because if, if you keep setting goals that you know are achievable and you and you keep hitting them, it's like that's great. You, What happens when you keep getting these wins is these wins build confidence. And there's sacrifice required to get these wins. But when you keep building these small wins, yeah, you're building this, this confidence and, and you keep winning. But what if you set your goals 10x of what you previously were doing and you didn't win, you missed – but how much harder did you have to work to get to that 10x goal? I think discipline is, it's one of those things, it can be taught, it can, but you have to be willing and able to accept it in your life first. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it starts. Yeah, and I was listening to an episode recently and you talk about these, you know, from all of this, you've taken and developed these five like daily habits or principles I wanted to dive into each one of those, mm-hmm. you know, and it seems like that's a structure in which you've achieved a lot and kind of run your life based on. Could we? I would love to go through those with you. I mean, I, I have a lot of principles. I, uh, I mean, do you have more updated? You know, all, all the time. And like, yeah. The thing about like, I'll, I'll, if I look back at 2017 mm-hmm. when I transitioned out of the, the army, I like I lay principles for my life. Um, based off of like what I'm going through, like my, my mor- morals and values, they always stay the same, but depending on what sprint I'm in, in a period of life, I will lay these principles that apply to where I'm at right there. So like, if I look at my life right now, to, like 2017 was this year where I transitioned out of the military, for example, and it was me, my brother and our friend Joe, who was still in the business. It was us three working out of my 1100 square foot house in central texas yeah trying to build a business and you're like four years or so into your business because you started in 2012 2012 yep so we're like five years in five years so it was just like my principles then that i was building my life off of was work as much as possible yep seize every opportunity say yes to everything learn as much as you can um and do everything as much as possible by yourself become this Swiss army pocket knife, right? Like, cause I couldn't afford to pay other people to do things. Yeah. As the years went on, the business has grown. I've learned more. I know like, this is a clear example. I don't apply that Swiss army pocket knife principle to my life anymore because if I try to do everything, well, I'm not operating in my area of genius now. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at your life in like these stages of, you can only move on to the next stage once you open the gate that was previously there. So at one point I had to be the Swiss army pocket knife that was doing everything because I couldn't afford help. Mm-hmm. Then when I was able to get to a point and delegate some responsibility, hire more people, I could then hyper-focus in my area of genius, which was growth, vision, strategic, hire people to, to help me achieve some of these next level goals. It unlocks these other gates. So I'd say like some of my principles right now in my life 
like I said, my, my values, my morals are always consistent. What are your top values, would you say? Integrity, transparency, selfless service, being a, a, a selfless servant, providing mentorship to my team, and empowering the people on my team or the people in my life. I'd say like those are some of them. But like the principles I'm applying to my life right now are, they're around two major things. Like there's two major things in my life right now. It's my business. It's my family. Mm. One of those, my baby girl, our first daughter's due in less than four weeks now. It's coming up on three weeks actually. Exciting, dude. Just crazy. Yeah. So, a lot of the things that are going through my head, my mind, have been, how do I want to raise this daughter? Mm. What do I want to teach her? How do I, I empower her to be independent, strong, growth focused, entrepreneurial? Uh, like how do, how do I instill those lessons into someone else's life from birth? I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. Right. It's like a lot of the things that have been going on in my head are, are focused towards her taking care of my wife, through this process. And then the other side of my life is, is the business. Like how am I empowering team members? Am I developing team members? Um, how do we maintain culture in a business as you're scaling, as you're growing? How do, how do we how do we scale a business past where we're at right now, right? It's it's accepting that what got us here isn't going to get us there. There being that level of success that we've defined in terms of of KPIs for the business. My mind is always it's always churning and it's always thinking, yeah. and, and a lot of that is how am I being a a mentor and a leader to the people in my life and around me. It sounds like a lot of deep reflection often, you know, constantly reassessing where am I and where am I going? I want to go back to the beginning of creating your supplement company, how this came about, the origins. So I was studying nutrition at the Indiana University of Pennsylvania. It's out near Pittsburgh. And uh, I was obsessed with the bodybuilding powerlifting space, obsessed with it. How did you get into it? Um, I think it was one of those things. So when I was younger, when I was 14, 15 years old, I had a very intense eating disorder Okay, that put me in the hospital. Like I almost killed myself through this process of just starving myself. So you just would not eat at all or it, it, it like it went into, into phases. Okay. So it started where, and I don't, I don't know to this day, I couldn't tell you what the trigger was, okay. but I wanted to control my weight what I looked like, what I felt like, how much I was eating. And it started by like slowly exercising a little bit more and eating a little bit less. And then it kind of just snowballed into exercising excessively mm-hmm. at an unhealthy rate and eating less and less and less. It got to a point where I was probably eating 400 calories a day. Wow. Maybe. And uh, I was going in and out of the hospital uh, I was getting. I remember getting pulled in and out of school to go to hospital appointments. Would you just pass out, or what would happen? No, but everyone knew like something was wrong. I was losing all this weight. I was getting thin. I had no energy. Yeah. So doctors were trying to figure it out. So my mom would pull me out of the hospital or out of school. We'd have a scheduled doctor's appointment. Would you get a test done? The doctors were trying to figure out: Is this kid? Does he have a a virus? Did he get a parasite when you guys were traveling to Mexico last summer? Yeah. Um, does he have Crohn's disease? Like, what is going on? 
I knew the entire time I was starving myself. Yeah. Right. And I just watched all these people like trying to figure out what was wrong with me when I knew the entire time, but I just went along with it. And, uh, this went on for, for months, maybe close to a year. And I got very, very thin and unhealthy, mm-hmm. uh, to the point where I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. My organs started slowly shutting down. And, uh, one day this will eventually, this story will eventually get into how fitness became part of my life. Totally. But, um, one day my mom pulls me out of school. I just think it's another routine checkup, another appointment. And we used to go to the Hershey medical center for all these appointments. And we'd, we'd pull in to the entrance. We'd turn left. We'd go to the hospital. We'd do the thing. I'd leave. This time, we pull into the Hershey Medical Center. Instead of turning left, we turn right. And they're like these outpatient clinics. And you could see like the signs on these outpatient clinics that almost look like small like little townhomes. And we pull up into one. And my mom parks. And it says eating disorder clinic. And at that point, I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> the jig is up. They know. <laughs> and I remember like to this day, I can remember I was probably 14 years old. Like I said, 15 years old. I get out of the car and we walk up these stairs and we walk into this waiting room and, uh, the doctor calls us in. Like it was this old building where like the, the floors were like warped, uh, hardwood and they, they would creak as you walked we walk in this room. They sit me down. They just confront me. They say, we know you've been starving yourself. You you have an eating disorder. And I just started breaking down, crying, just like bawling. And I wish it was this easy for everyone that was going through a eating disorder or has an unhealthy relationship with food. But for some reason, being confronted and called out on my shit just clicked. Yeah. It just clicked. And I remember coming home from the hospital that day, and my mom's telling me, you got to eat or you're going to die. You're going to kill yourself. So I went to the pantry and I look at what's in the pantry. And I see this box of Pop-Tarts and I pull open these box, these Pop-Tarts and I flip them around and the back of this pack, I was reading the nutrition facts and it says in two Pop-Tarts, there's 400 calories. And I was like in two Pop-Tarts, that's more than I've probably been eating for the last couple of months in a day. And I forced myself to eat this two Pop-Tarts. I just, I felt so full from two pop tarts. And from there, it was just like these small little things that I had to start doing. I just had to start eating more here and exercise less there. And slowly it got better, but I knew everyone was watching me at all times now. So I used to do tricks where, you know, you you move food around your plate, you go to get seconds, but you actually put your food in the trash. That stuff just didn't work anymore. Right. So. I slowly started building this healthier relationship with food and that led me to finding fitness and finding the gym and I found the gym and I I learned that this food was actually a fuel and it was fueling the workouts and I could build muscle and I could get stronger and I would do these workouts and if I ate right, I'd recover better and I discovered pre-workout and supplements and I just fell in love with the space. Yeah, And I think part of it was you know, having this eating disorder was this control. I think finding fitness and nutrition in the supplement space allowed me to 
use that that control in a different way. I could control the workouts. I could control my diet, but in a in a healthier sense. Enhance performance. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I started, you know, establishing these more healthy relationships with food, and it got better. And I found bodybuilding and strength training and all this stuff. And that's when I decided I want to go to school for nutrition. I want to learn more about this. And when I got to school, I fell in love with the gym even more because all I had to do was go to class, go to my army ROTC program, go to the gym. I could make my own food. I could control my own diet. I could put on as much size and muscle and mass as I wanted. I got even more interested in the supplement space. It was 2012 that I started the company, but around 2009, 2010, and even more so 2011, I was buying ingredients in bulk online, you know, caffeine, citrulline, beta alanine, creatine monohydrate, and I was mixing up my own pre-workout in my dorm room using this food scale, and I was selling it to my friends on the, the floor too. So if you walked into my dorm room in college, it looked like I was dealing drugs. <laughs> A little I got, meth lab. <laughs> I got this food scale. Uh, I have these white powders everywhere. People are knocking on my door. They're giving me like five bucks. And I'm handing them a baggie of, <laughs> yeah. of this white substance. Yeah. I was like, a, I looked like a Coke dealer yeah. in college. Do you remember where you used to source your stuff? Wherever I could, like, just yeah. wherever I could find bulk stuff. Yeah. I never looked into, like, I wasn't looking into the quality. It was like, yeah. where can I find the cheapest bulk citrulline? Yeah. And you know, I'd buy maybe 200, 300 grams of, of each ingredient at once. And I would spend all my money on these raw materials and then make my own pre-workouts. And then towards the back half of being in college in the Army ROTC program, because I was a contracted ROTC cadet before commissioning as an officer, the military associated bank, USAA, offers what they call pre-commissioning loan hmm. to all these cadets. Because they know we're going to graduate in a year, year and a half. We're going to be making officer pay in the military. They know the money's coming in. So they're like, yeah, we'll offer offer these students this loan up to $25,000. You don't have to make any payments for your first 18 months. Great. The interest rate was like 1%. Wow. And all my friends are taking out this loan. They're buying new cars. They're <laughs> getting engagement rings. They're going on vacation. I was like, dude, this is my, this is my way to build my business. This is going to be my business loan. So that's what I did. I took this loan out. I got approved for it. I got $20,000 in my pocket, which I thought I was like a millionaire with $20,000 in my pocket. And I spent all that money on inventory, found a manufacturer in the US, and I just started the process and just bootstrapped from there. What was your first product called? What did you call it? it flight, our pre-workout. To this day, it's still called Flight. Yeah? Yeah, different formula, but yeah. same product. And a lot of listeners are kind of beginners and are still very new to what a lot of these individual supplements I just want to take a moment and kind of go through those and the benefits because mm -hmm. I think it's super important and I have this conversation time and time again and it'd be nice to just have a resource like hey guys just listen to this uh, so walk me through like your pre-workout what's in it and kind of like each thing why you decided to pick those uh, supplements yeah so BPN as a whole I'll kind of just give like yeah this will make sense what we're trying to do with BPN is bridge the gap between health and performance. So about half of our product line is performance-based. Pre-workout, 
pump enhancer or creatine. We, we put whey protein in that category. Um, our endurance formula is, is carbohydrates and electrolytes. Uh, it's a fuel source. So that's one category of performance. Then we have the health line, which is multivitamins, joint support, sleep support, uh, green superfoods, red superfoods, uh, fish oil, collagen, stuff like that. So what we're trying to do is, is bridge the gap between health and performance to offer people, customers, fitness enthusiasts, people who want to improve their health, products that they can use from the time they wake up to the time they go to sleep. So every product we create has a story. And that story typically stems from either something that I'm looking for or, or part of my team is looking for. Yeah. And we know if we're looking for a certain product to do a certain thing and solve a specific problem, there's probably people out there that are looking for the same thing. So we didn't launch with 10 products. We launched with one and we added one and we added one and we added one. And we, when we add a new product, it's not because we want to grow the business. It's because we found a problem that we need to create a solution for. So flight or pre-workout was the first product we produced because it solved the problem that I was looking to, there's a problem I was looking to solve. What was, so like, yeah, what was the problem that you were finding with other pre-workouts or just, you know, getting set for the gym? So 2012, if I take you back there, the supplement industry, the only way to describe it, it was like the wild, wild west. For sure. Things weren't really getting tested. There wasn't integrity behind products. There wasn't transparency. Everyone was hiding behind proprietary blends, which a proprietary blend was, say, for example, product A, each serving is 10 grams. And in that 10-gram serving, they're going to list the ingredients that are in that 10-gram serving, but they're not going to tell you how much of each ingredient is in there. Mm -hmm. People might ask, well, why, would, why does that matter? Or why would people do that? Because... What's typically going to happen in a proprietary blend is the brand is going to put a lot of the cheap ingredient in there and a little bit of the expensive good ingredient in there. Yeah, just so they can say it's in it. Yep. It's called pixie dusting. Got you it. pixie dust <laughs> yeah. the good ingredients. So in, in 2012, I mean, this is why I was making my own products, Got my it. own pre-work on to my dorms is because I wanted to make sure I knew exactly what was going in it at what dose. So in 2012, my competitive advantage was, all right, I'm going to make a product that has no proprietary blends, that has ingredients that I personally want to use, that have been researched and studied at a, at a dose that is effective. Some of those ingredients, like now in our product, uh, beta-alanine, betaine hydrose, uh, tyrosine, caffeine, dicaffeine malate, um, and each ingredient serves a purpose. So with flight, what we're trying to do is increase energy and focus going into a workout as well as improve muscular endurance, stamina, and, uh, and recovery. So like we added caffeine. Everyone knows caffeine. Caffeine is going to increase energy, right? But why did we add dicaffeine malate? Because what happens when you consume caffeine is you have this spike of energy, which is typically followed by a crash. Yeah. When you add dicaffeine malate, it extends the half-life of caffeine. So you get this up from the caffeine. Instead of this crash, it's this kind of just gradual drop-off. The dicaffeine malate helps extend the half-life of, of caffeine. Uh, Beta-alanine, for example, 
has been shown to increase performance through uh, muscular endurance by buffering lactic acid. You have tyrosine that supports the the focus effect with hooperzine. Hmm. Um, so every ingredient is handpicked. Like we don't go to our manufacturer and say, create us a pre-workout, which you'd be surprised because a lot of supplement companies, that's what they do. They go to their manufacturer, they say, create me a whey protein product, create me an endurance formula, create me a multivitamin and create me a pre-workout. That's my line. Cool. Well, do you want to know what's in it? No, just, just give me good margins. Yeah, just put a logo on it. We're good. Yeah. And uh, so like me and my team, like we will, like the way we product develop is first we start with what is the problem and how do we make create a solution? Then it is who is this product being marketed, sold, and intended for? What does that avatar or person want and need out of a product? And then it's okay, what ingredients, like our wish list, what ingredients do we want in here at what dosages? And then we get that priced out. And based off that price of, of what that raw material cost us, we typically have to make changes to the formula. Like if I made the perfect pre-workout, like right now with all my, my bells, whistles, and dreams, yeah. it would cost me probably $50 to make. Yeah. I'd have to sell it for like, you know, over a hundred. So yeah. you, you have to play this balancing game of, okay, well this ingredient was too much. Let's pull this ingredient out. What other ingredient can we find that's out there that is safe, effective, has clinical research behind it, has a great supplier who can, who can work with us on it. And, uh, and has effects benefits, uh, that we're looking for in this product. So it's like, but it's one of my favorite parts of building these products out is because you're looking at other ingredients in research and some have clinicals, some don't. We have some really key suppliers that we're always working with. There's new technology and research ingredients always popping up every year. And it's like, well, how do we reformulate our current product to offer this ingredient in that product? Like for me, the, the product development is, that's my baby. That's what I love. That's amazing. And I know you have a, an endurance product, which I'm really interested in learning more. It's a, it's a, or it's a, it's your own creation or it's a, your own unique carbohydrate source. Cause I, I, I remember listening to you talk about, and it's true. Like a lot of the endurance products are just a bunch of sugar, mm -hmm. dextrose. Um, I don't know, just really simple sugars. And you were having gut upset problems, which a lot of people get or any of these sugary sports drinks. Yep. So tell me a little bit about the product you developed for that. Uh, I used to take Carbolin a long time ago, but yeah, I, I, your product sounds amazing. It's, it's called G1M Sport. Okay. And again, this product was was formulated and created for a problem I was experiencing. I was training for an Ironman triathlon. And, you know, with an Ironman, you're training up to like 18 hours a week. You're on the bike. And when you're on the bike, you're hunched over in this position, right? Like you're swimming, you're running, you're, you're training a lot. And to train a lot, you have to fuel a lot while you're training. Not a lot of time to digest a full meal. Exactly. Yeah. So I was finding a lot of these products in the market were wrecking my gut, just wrecking my gut. And uh, I would get gassy. I'd get bloated. I'd get just stomach discomfort. I'd have to run to the bathroom while I was on the bike. So I started looking for different carb sources out there on the market that kind of alleviated some of these problems. And I tried... 20 plus carb sources until I found one and it was called cluster dextrin. And what cluster, cluster dextrin does is 
it's very fast gastric emptying. Mm -hmm. So like when you consume it, it bypasses the gut very quickly and in the intestines. And with that, it minimizes, sometimes eliminates all gas, bloating, stomach discomfort. So like finding and discovering cluster dextrin was the foundation of G1M Sport. And then we added 350 milligrams of sodium from pink Himalayan salt per serving, and then a full electrolyte profile. So between the carbs and the electrolytes, that's a product that I, like, through all my endurance events, triathlons, ultras, marathon training. I mean, the last three years I've, I've trained for a lot of things. I've lived off of that product. That's, that's fantastic. Do you have any products that you're excited for the future of that you're developing or you know, you see in the space that holds a lot of promise. We just released a new product last month. It was called Strong Food, or okay. is called Strong Food. Yeah, uh, It's a whole food meal replacement powder. So the ingredients are uh, gluten-free oats, sweet potato powder, whey protein isolate, pea protein, uh, chia seed, flaxseed, MCT powder. That's a product that we're, we're super proud of. We were working on that for a long, long time. Um, but in the next couple of months, we don't necessarily have new products we're launching, just variants of uh, new flavors. We're launching a new flavor of, of our plant-based protein tomorrow. We are introducing, they're called the Go Packs. So right now we sell a lot of our supplements in uh, bottles, like 30 serving bottles. We're now introducing the Go Packs, which are just sachets for on the go convenience. That's amazing, yeah. Um, but we launched like four or five new products this past year. It's been a lot of product launches. Yeah. Yeah, that's super exciting. You guys are developing just amazing products, and it'll be fun to watch as it continues on. <laughs> Ten years from now, who knows, right? Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your transition from just bodybuilder strength training to this hybrid training, right? Getting into endurance training, why you got into endurance training, and how you balance that. Because I feel like more and more people are getting into this space of being able to do it all or have a mixture. Because... Uh, there's such a benefit to having that endurance training in there, not only just for health, but just your mood and uh, feeling good. Yeah. So the the day I got out of the army in 2017, I made a YouTube video and I remember I was talking to the camera and I said, I will never run a day in my life again. <laughs> and I think it was six months later, I was signed up for the Austin marathon. Yeah. I just missed it. Like I missed, uh, I miss training for something hard, mm -hmm. kind of like suffering through that process. When I was in the army, I mean, we ran, we ran a lot, but it was never like intentional running. Like if, if you told me go run six miles this morning when I was in the army, I was running that six miles as hard and as fast as possible. Okay. Like when I finished that run, I thought I should be nearly dead, like breathing <laughs> that hard. Yeah. So I thought... I'm getting on the army. I'm getting as big and as big and strong as possible. Like I'm done running and I just missed something from that. So I signed up, I trained for, I say I trained for, like I just, I logged miles here and there, but nothing like serious for the Austin marathon in 2018. And I ran that in three hours, 57 minutes. It was a suffer fest. Like I didn't prep right. Uh, I struggled after mile 15, I had to walk a lot. I weighed like 225, 230 pounds. It sucked. The whole thing sucked. So then after that marathon, I was like, you know what? Never again. I tried it. I did it. Not for me. And believe it or not, the next year I said, 
okay, let's do Austin Marathon 2019. So I signed up for that, trained even less, probably weighed even more. I was lifting even more, and I ran slower. I ran four hours and 15 minutes. But I wasn't trying to, like, I wasn't trying to PR. I was trying to, like, finish. That's all I wanted to do. And then after that marathon, I, I can't tell you exactly what triggered it, but I, I saw a video a long time ago, and it was of the Kona Ironman in Hawaii. And it might have been from like the 80s or 90s. And it was these women finishing that race, cramping, like full body cramp seizures. And they were trying to get to the finish line, but their bodies were shutting down. And I didn't even know what an Ironman was. That's all I really knew of it. And I just said, you know, I'm going to do an Ironman. And I was telling my my wife now, but she's my fiance then. So I'm going to do an Ironman triathlon. And she said, what's an Ironman triathlon? I said, I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> Looks like a lot of suffering. I'm into it. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. So I did some research. I was like, all right, 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, 26.2 mile run. Can't be that bad. So I trained for that, lost a lot of weight in the process, learned a lot about endurance training. Did you continue to lift during this time? I did. Yeah, okay. I did. So you were training a lot. I was training a lot. And I finished that Ironman, I believe it was like 11 hours, 28 minutes or something like that. It was Ironman Florida and Panama City. Great experience. A great experience. I was not a great swimmer. I'm still not. Uh, I was somewhat strong on the bike. And then the run again, it was just it was a suffer fest. That's all it was. And after that Ironman, I was like, all right, well, I've done two marathons. I've done this Ironman. I ran the marathon in that Ironman in like four hours, four minutes. So I thought, well, how fast could I run a marathon if I didn't swim 2.4 miles and bike 112 miles before that? So I said, I'm going to run a sub three-hour marathon. And I started training. Again, went and ran the Austin Marathon the next year, thinking I was going to run sub three, didn't realize how hard sub three was. And I crossed the finish line three hours, 24 minutes. Okay. Big improvement though. Big improvement. Yeah. But 24 miles off of a goal is pretty freaking big. <laughs> yeah. And in terms of a marathon. Totally. And then after that, uh, that marathon, I wanted like redemption. But through the same process, I decided to train for another Ironman at the same time. Yeah. It's like, all right, I'm going to train for Ironman Texas. We're going to do a marathon build in the middle of training for Ironman Texas. Don't recommend it. <laughs> I kind of really submerged myself in endurance training at that point. Kind of let the strength go to the side a little bit. Yep. Yeah. I was like, let's sacrifice some strength training, sacrifice some size, hire a real coach, like a real coach who's going to take me to this next level. And... That's where I learned everything about endurance of uh, zone two training, running 80% of your miles below your max aerobic heart rate, how to build strength on the bike through big gear workouts, how to swim properly. And while we were training for Ironman Texas, we also added in a block of marathon training in there. And I ended up running in the end of January, 2021, uh, I ran a sub three hour marathon, two hours, 56 minutes, Dang. 27 seconds. Wow. So that was like my redemption. That That's 
That's incredible. Uh, huge improvement. With I want to ask real quick, max heart rate. How do you, how do your coach or how do you find max heart rate? Uh, so when I'm, when I'm talking about max aerobic heart rate, yep. we take one eight. It's called the MAF one eighty formula. Okay. By Mil, uh, Phil Maffetone. It's one eighty minus your age. So at the time of training for that marathon, I was thirty. One eighty minus thirty is one fifty. So for me. 150 was my max aerobic heart rate Got it. for my easy runs, which meant I was going to run all of my easy runs, which was 80% of my, my training, 80% of my runs below my max aerobic heart rate. So I would wear a chest strap monitor. Mm -hmm. It would sync to my watch. I would make sure that as I was running, it was below 150 beats per minute, which made sure that I was training the right aerobic system. And it la that lays that foundation for your endurance training is that considered zone two or or is is it a variation of zone two and more it's like zone two zone three like okay. i think for me like for me to really truly be zone two my heart rate would probably have to be like below 135 136 got it so i was probably in all honesty realistically training high zone two low zone three for most of those runs but i never looked at like zone training i just looked at yeah Hey, if I'm below 150 beats per minute, that's a sweet spot. Let's just hang out there. And what you find over time is as you do that, as you run more miles below your max aerobic heart rate, your pace might stay the same, but your effort will decrease. So like say week one compared to week 20, week one, I might be running you know, an eight minute per mile pace my heart rate is 145 beats per minute. And then in week 20, I might be running an eight minute per mile pace, but my heart rate is 135 beats per minute. Yeah. So your effort can, can improve at the same pace. And that's how we, we did a lot of our training for that sub three hour marathon. Yeah. So it seems like a lot of mistakes people make is going above that and kind of almost burning themselves out or training the wrong zone completely and then that's why you get slow times right you completely changed it i mean for years for years i trained just max inefficiently yeah like that's that's it's so hard to convey that to people to tell someone if you want to run faster you need to run slower oh yeah and everyone's like bullshit doesn't work <laughs> for them i'm telling you dude i'm telling you if you run want to run faster run slower like log more slower miles and you'll see it pay off like you will 100%. I used to go out for every single run. Like if I went out on an easy, easy, quote unquote, five mile run on a Wednesday morning, you know, I can confidently say that I had to stop two, three, four times, hands on knees to catch a breath because I was running so hard on my easy days. I just didn't know. Yeah. I mean, how would you know, right? Yeah. So that's why a coach is super important. Take me through the mental experience of going through an Ironman. I'm just so curious about this because it sounds like it was a very life-changing event. I, I want to just kind of go through that experience with you. Yeah, I've, I've had a few like life-changing events in the, the past uh, three years. One was the Ironman. This past year, I've done 200-mile races, did Leadville 100, Rocky Raccoon 100 miler. And then you know, two weeks ago, we had another big marathon, Yeah, the Sub 250 marathon. You know, Mindset wise, I don't think you can you can compare any race to another race. Mm -hmm. 
even like you can't compare one hundred miler to another hundred miler. You can't compare one Ironman to another Ironman because they're also different. But I will say there's a difference in mindset when you are trained properly and when you're not. So for my first Ironman, I wasn't really trained properly. And when I say I wasn't trained properly, it's like I I didn't train enough. I, I didn't train enough at uh, at sub maximal uh, below you know max aerobic heart rate training. And what happens when you don't train effectively, efficiently, or in the right way is it's what I call a soup sandwich. Like imagine taking a, a can of uh, Campbell's tomato soup, tomato soup or like chicken soup, and you have two slices of white bread, and you try to pour that soup onto one slice of bread, put the other slice of bread on top, and you try to eat the sandwich. It's just a, it's a shit show. It's a mess. <laughs> yeah. like that's what I felt like on on races where I wasn't prepped. My first two marathons, even that first Ironman, like it's an emotional experience. Like when you cross that finish line for your first Ironman or your first marathon or half marathon or even 5K, like it's an emotional experience because you invested time, money, energy, and resources into something that you've never done before. That first Ironman though, it's like there's so many pieces to a triathlon and it's so different from a marathon because when you go out for a marathon, for example, you tow the line, the gun goes off, and you know you're just running for 26.2 miles. There's a lot of highs. There's a lot of lows. There's a lot of unpredictable. Like you don't know when you're going to cramp. You don't know when you're going to feel like crap. You don't know when you're going to feel good. But you have expectations of like, I know I'm not going to feel consistent mm-hmm. through this whole thing. That's a realistic expectation. With a, a triathlon and an Ironman specifically, like it starts where for Ironman Florida, for example, we started on the beach. The sun was rising. It was the most beautiful thing I've like witnessed before. They're playing the national anthem. You're like, dude, this is like, <laughs> this is it right here. Yeah. I'm sold. Yeah. And uh, gun goes off. They're playing music. And then you go right into the water. And we swam out a little over a half mile. So you go out, back, out, back, and you're swimming half mile out in the ocean. So part of you is thinking, I definitely could get eaten by something out here right now. (laughs) But you're surrounded by so many people and everyone's just getting after it. That's the coolest part to see is everyone's just getting after it. Everyone just spent the last four, five, six months training their butt off to get to this moment in time, which is a cool experience. So you know, you got to pace yourself. You're out there for 11 plus hours. Yeah. It's a long day and it's even a longer day if you go out too hard. So I kind of used that, that swim to really pace myself over that course. And you transition out of the water, you go and you change. And that even makes the day feel longer because now you just finish this one event. You go into this room, you take off your wetsuit, you put a new set of clothes on, you, you put these race shoes on, your helmet, you hop on the bike. It's, okay, here's phase two. I'm about to be on the, the bike for six hours. <laughs> so now you're just like putting on this effort on the bike and the whole time you're trying to get as much nutrition down as possible. Because what happens if you don't stay on top of your nutrition or hydration? Mm-hmm. You're going to bonk, you're going to fail, you're going to fall out. And then six hours later, you're off the bike. At least I was off the bike. And it's, okay, now all I got to do is run a marathon. <laughs> oh, my 
That's unreal. And then you take off for 26.2 miles. And that's when you see, you know, there's a big difference between the pros racing and then just like age groupers racing. Watching the pros race, they're moving this through this thing like fast, effective, efficient. Like seconds matter. They're moving through checkpoints seamlessly. Like they will do anything to just shed a second, a fraction of a second. The age groupers where I was for my, my Ironman, I mean, you get to that point in the marathon and you are seeing people in their lowest of their lows. I can imagine. Like people are fighting the temptation of, of stopping and quitting, which is another cool thing to experience. Like you're, you're seeing people that you've never met before, that you don't know, that you don't know where they, they live or where they're from, and you see people suffering so much. And what's cool about endurance sports is you can take a group of people, put them, take them from a room, have them toe the line together, and the guy to your left might be might, you know, decked out in $10,000 worth of gear. He's got the Solomon vest. He's got the shoes. He's got the poles. He's got the pack. He's got the sunglasses. He's got the GPS. He's got all this crap on him. I mean, he's just like money walking. But the guy to the other side of you, he shows up in like old tennis shoes, cotton shorts, and like a penny, you know, maybe a hat. And his gear might have cost him 50 bucks. Yeah. But where one person starts, you know, costing so much and the other is just wearing ratty clothes off the street. Once you get to mile 50, 60, 70 in an ultra marathon, it doesn't matter what you're wearing. Yeah. You are all broken down the same way. That gear is not taking you any further. It's all mind and body. And that's what's cool about endurance sports is it brings everyone down at the same level. No gear is going to drive your mind. No gear is going to motivate you any any more than the other person's. Yeah. Right? No accessories, no nothing. The great equalizer. It is an equalizer. That's what it is, yeah. So to see people at mile 80 and 90 at a 100-mile race, that's a sight to see. That's what I like. I love it. What's the feeling crossing, or what was the feeling crossing the finish line for the first time with your Ironman? I mean, it's emotional. Like yeah. it, it is emotional because eleven hours, eleven hours, and it's just something about the Ironman community and organization where you're coming into this this uh, this finish line corral. There's like this red flooring, and there's these gates that kind of funnel you in, and the announcer you know goes, "Nick Bear, you are an Ironman," and you're like, "Yeah, baby, <laughs> one." You look back at all the training you did to get there. It's like, it's one thing if you just, you sign up and you show up and you do it. But when you've invested time and energy and you sacrifice things to train for this one day and then you do it and you put in the work, you suffer through it, you cross the finish line, it's, man, this was, it was earned, right? It was earned. And, uh, there was something magical about crossing the finish line of, of Ironman Florida, my first triathlon. There was. It was, it was magical. Yeah. It, you know, I've never really been into endurance sports, but the more I've listened to you and listened to you now, it, it definitely has my intrigue. You know, what would you say, you know, to advocate for endurance sports? You know, people who are, you know, listening to this and gaining an interest, you know, where do they begin and who's kind of the right person to take on one of these races? 
I will preface endurance sports with this. These long distance races, 100 mile ultras, Ironman triathlons, marathon after marathon after marathon, it is by no means the perfect example of performance and health. Like, I'll be the first one to tell you, when you run 100 miles to the Rocky Mountains, you don't feel good afterwards. You don't feel good for weeks or months afterwards. Yeah. But you gain a lot mentally, emotionally, spiritually from the experience. Like, that's why people sign up for these races. Is If you sign up for a 100-mile race and you train for it and you tow the line, you're not signing up for the first 80 miles. You're signing up for mile 81 to 100. Mm. To get to mile 80, it's like, all right, now the race is starting. Everything hurts. My body doesn't want to move. My mind is being fully tested. I mean, you want to like have a, a growth experience mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Sign up for a 100-mile race. You know, to do it, and you will gain from it. But if you're looking to actually optimize performance, I'm going to tell you that like these long-distance endurance events, it's not it. Like, if, if, if I was to tell someone there's endurance and there's strength training, choose one. For overall health, longevity, optimization, uh, even fat loss, strength train all day, every day. Yeah, hundred percent. But if you want to gain, you know, some insight, I, I've I've heard this uh, is saying before in terms of endurance sports. If it's something along the lines of, if you want to do something hard, sign up for a five k. If you want to truly be tested and challenged, sign up for a marathon. If you want to talk to God. Sign up for an ultra. <laughs> and that's the best way to describe it. That's amazing. And you were mentioning, you know, you can have growth mentally, physically, but also spiritually. Do you remember from any of your races an experience you can talk about where you had a kind of a spiritual or more of a connection to God or, you know, a deeper part of yourself? There's like there's certain runs where there's there's things that have to be teed up for just like this experience. I'll, I'll tell you about one. Where uh, it wasn't like on one of the ultras that I've done. Mm -hmm. Your mind goes to a certain place and it's pretty dark sometimes. But in retrospect, it's like your pain cave, your your mental capacity for uh, something that hurts, mm -hmm. something that's painful, obstacles. Like your capacity grows so much through these long endurance events. But sometimes on a run, when all the conditions just kind of match up, it creates this emotional experience experience for me that's like spiritual. Yeah. So this past winter, we were in uh, in Michigan. It's where my wife's family lives. We were there for Christmas. And we went up to her family's cottage, which is kind of north Michigan. And before we got there, it snowed a lot. There was like two feet of snow. So I went out for this run, and I had to wear these like treks or tracks or like something on the bottom of my shoe mm. that allowed me to run in the snow and the ice, which i would never done before up until this point. So I went out for this run and I was listening to music and it was cold. It was probably like 20 degrees. It was a cold day. Went out for this run, listened to music and uh, turned onto this trail. And I ran on this trail and it was just like pure white. It was snowing. It was pure white. I was running through these trails. There's trees everywhere. And it was like, it was epic. 
right? It was like the only way to describe it is it was epic. And uh, I was listening to music. Uh, the song I Can Only Imagine came on. Mm. And that song is like, that's special to me because in 2019, my mom was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, very aggressive, six months after uh, she passed away. It was super aggressive. And that was like her favorite song during that time. That was a song she requested for her, her funeral. Mm-hmm. So I'm running in this just majestic area. And like the runner's high is real. And I'm starting to get this runner's high. Yeah. And this song comes on. And it was just like this out-of-body experience. And it doesn't happen very often. Like this has happened a, f- a few times. Yeah. Where you don't feel your legs anymore. Like you don't feel like you're breathing heavy. You feel like you're putting out no effort at all. And you're just kind of, you're just cruising through this trail in the woods as it's snowing. And uh, you start getting choked up. Like you start getting choked up. Yeah. You, you feel tears coming down your face. But you're not sad, right? You're not sad. You're happy. But it's, yeah. the only way to describe it is like it's an emotional, spiritual yeah. uh, experience. But when that ha- that happens, it's like I said, it's only happened a few times. You got to soak it in. You're like man you just feel good yeah it sounds really rejuvenating very special yeah thank you for sharing that absolutely people are always curious about morning routines and night routines i'm just curious about yours Mm -hmm. you got a family business training i mean you're managing a lot i imagine if you don't start your day right it's gonna go to shit right do you have a specific morning routine like how do you begin your day starts the same way every day yeah alarm goes off 5 a.m I get up, I let the dogs out, they go to the bathroom. As they're going to the bathroom outside, I start making my coffee. And as I'm sipping on my coffee, I pull up either a podcast or an audiobook. Nine times out of ten, it's an audiobook. And uh, I'll just start chipping away at audiobooks. Like if I'm in the morning or driving somewhere, I'll put it on, I'll try to knock it out and just pull some sort of nugget from it. And uh, as I'm drinking the coffee, listening to the audiobook, I'm letting things brew a little bit so I can make my way to the bathroom. Totally. Because I want to go to the bathroom before I go out for my morning run. Yep. So between five and six, all that's kind of getting done. I like to either be running or training now. Between 5.45 and 6 a.m., I'm out the door. I'm either getting ready for my strength training workout or logging some miles. When I'm, I'm training for an endurance event, it's running every single morning. But now I'm not training for an endurance event. It's more balanced strength training or running. And then from 5.45, 6 a.m., uh, I'm training for about an hour, hour and a half. And then as soon as that's done, I, I come back into the house. I mix up my supplements. I make my breakfast. Um, I shower, and I'm off to work, and I try to be in the office by 8 a.m. And that's my morning routine every single morning. And then in the evening, um, it's kind of the same thing. Like once... Uh, once the sun comes down and I'm like two hours out from going to bed, I throw on blue light blocking glasses. Uh, I try not to be on my phone or like looking at screens because I have found that that does affect sleep pretty significantly. And then I'll just spend time with my wife. The evening is my time to spend time with my wife. I would like to be able to spend more time with her, but right now just business is crazy. Yeah. And uh, – We'll kind of like right now we're spending a lot of time prepping for the baby, building out the nursery, talking about how we want to raise our children, 
kind of just like romanticizing about the future and what that looks like. Um, and then I'll take a supplement to support sleep about 45 minutes before going to bed. I turn on my chili sleep pad. Nice. The older you like that? Love it, dude. Yeah. I used to like wake up sweaty all the time. Yeah. And I said that thing like 62, 63 degrees, sleep like a baby, and uh, and I'm out. So that's really my only routine in the evening. But my morning, it's it's consistent. I'm really trying to with myself become a morning worker workouter. And it's hard because I mean, obviously it's hard because it's morning, but I used to train at like 8, 9, and 10 p.m. So I'm trying to flip it because there's I see such value in just getting it done first and preparing your mind and body. I imagine you're, you know, clear-headed, you're relaxed, you don't need to stress about your workout for the rest of the day, and then, yeah, you have the evening to enjoy your family and, you know, unwind instead of rev yourself back up with a workout. Do you have advice or tips for people like me <laughs> to become a morning worker out or like how do you begin to chip into that i mean if ideally I'd, i would train it four or five p.m every day that's my favorite time to train yeah i love it too i have like two to three meals in me i get the best pump i have like the most energy hormones I, are peaked you're feeling good i feel full yeah. like i look the best yep uh that's like my favorite time to train yeah when i was when i was single you know back in the day and BPN was growing, but it wasn't, didn't take as much time. I would train like once at 10, 11 a.m. And I would train once at like 9 or 10 p.m. And me, my brother, and Joe, we would just train nonstop. And we, we'd hit that last workout and then we'd consume a, a crap ton of food <laughs> yeah. to recover. Feast. We would feast. <laughs> yeah. Um, but now, in terms of like working out in the morning, the reason I do it is because I don't know what's going to happen the rest of the day. Mm hmm. You know, if I push my workout off until the evening or afternoon, chances are something's going to pop up. Like my schedule always goes to shit as soon as 8 a.m. hits. Things pop up, meetings change, someone needs me somewhere else. So I like to look at it as I can knock out my workout at 5 a.m. when the world isn't 6 a.m. when the world isn't awake yet in my eyes. The, the sun is still down. No one's out and about doing stuff. This, there's no distractions. My phone's not going off. Emails aren't blowing up. This is my time. This is my time, like my personal time, to knock out this workout so I know it's not going to be interrupted. It's not going to be distracted. And if something happens in the afternoon, I'm not compromising like a, a good workout. Um, so it's, just, it's one, having that conscious awareness of if I want to get this done, I might have to get this done as soon as I wake up. And it's a good time just have some solitude, right? Like how many times do you even see people or, I mean, I do it sometimes. It's 4 or 5 p.m. I'm working out, but I have emails coming in. I'm trying to answer emails and text messages while I'm working out. Yeah. Like I can't actually enjoy the training session. And I like working out. Like it's solitude for me. I can really like get in the zone and, and think about things as I'm training and just it's this experience. And in the morning for me, and I'm sure most people, it's when these distractions aren't always there. So use that as your time. You know, you don't have to train, but do something for yourself then. I love that. I'm, I'm determined to become an early morning worker outer. I see the value in it. Do you, what time do you go to bed? I wish it was earlier. Uh, <laughs> between 
ten thirty and eleven p.m. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are you track your sleep? Uh, or you sometimes just go based on how you feel. I I uh, I'll track it. Yeah. And then when it starts telling me it's bad, I take the tracker off. <laughs> You're like, don't talk to me. That's that's what I do. Like, I, I was wearing a whoop for a while. Yeah. It just kept saying, like, sleep more, sleep more. I was like, you yeah. know, I'm just going to turn this thing off. <laughs> that happened to me this morning. I have an aura ring, and I know I didn't sleep very well. I'm like, I'm not even going to look at it. I'll, we'll just try again today. Yeah, I mean, my recovery is always great. Yeah. But uh, sleep is one of those things that, you know, I would love to get more. Mm-hmm. But... Sometimes life just it's 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 moving. You're sprinting. Yeah, you got to keep going regardless. Yeah, like whether you get good sleep or not, you just got to keep training. And I can operate off of like six hours of sleep. I can fully operate. Now I'm not telling people sleep less to achieve your goals. Like if you need more sleep to be optimized, effective, and efficient, sleep more. Please sleep more. Like you're probably going to be a, a better husband, a better leader, a better coworker, a better friend. But I can personally operate off of of six hours of sleep pretty effectively. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Nick, I appreciate you being here so much. Appreciate your time and all your wisdom. Thank you for being here, brother. And then how do people connect with you? Find your supplements. Uh, Yeah, just connect. Yep. So uh, I got a podcast. It's called the Bear Performance Podcast. Uh, Right now we're doing two episodes a week. Which I think, by the way, you know, when I started seeing those new episodes in your studio, I was like, this guy's going to go really far with that. So I'm excited for you to keep it up because I think it's going to be one of those top level podcasts. Thank you. Yeah, I really see it. Yeah, when we uh, when we dive into something, we like we fully commit. Yeah, you're killing it with the guests and like it's just I can feel the specific vibe you're going for and it's it's working really well. I Thank think. you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. So yeah, I got the podcast going on right now. Uh, the supplements, Bear Performance Nutrition. It is bpnsups.com. Yeah. Um, and then on Instagram, I'm Nick Bear Fitness. And on YouTube, if you just type in Nick Bear, there will be probably multiple videos of me running shirtless somewhere. <laughs> but that's where I've been. Like, I built my business. I built the platform yeah. on, on YouTube. And I started that in 2014. We now have close to 800 videos up on YouTube. Amazing. And for anyone out there who's looking to be a creator, looking to build a personal brand, I always say go to YouTube first because YouTube is somewhere where, first off, it's the second biggest search engine after Google. Uh, so people can find your content there. People are typically looking for longer format content. They're, they're committed to, you know, a 5, 10, 15, 20-minute video. They're looking to learn. They're going there looking to learn, not necessarily be entertained. So you can really hone in a specific audience with content on YouTube uh, and use that for longer form content to, to build the story in, in audience. YouTube is where I spend a lot of my time. Yeah, I'm a big fan of YouTube. I would spend, I didn't have cable or Netflix for a long time and I would just digest everything from YouTube. I know TikTok's actually thinking about starting to allow 10 minute videos coming soon because they want to compete. So I don't, I don't know if it's possible to compete, man. Like, YouTube's done a great job. Yeah, yeah, they've done a killer job. Well, Nick, thank you again for being here, brother. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. Boom pow. Another good episode in the books. Nick, thank you again for coming down. Guys, hope you enjoyed this episode. A little quick update. I just got back from Mexico. I did a six-day, very deep, very traditional Shipibo ayahuasca retreat. 
I'm still processing. I'm only out of the jungle three, four days. And that's why I didn't have an episode last week. I will eventually share that experience. But a little tidbit is it was one of the most, if not one of the nights was one of the most profound, powerful experiences I've ever had. I remember coming back after the third ceremony and looking at my roommate and being like, this shit is not for everybody. And I felt like I went into a lair with a dragon. And there was moments of thinking, what the fuck am I doing in this lair with this dragon? And there's moments you think you're not gonna come out, but you remember that facing your darkness, facing your shadows, going into the pain, going into the realities of life and death and all the sorrow that we all experience in our lives is the only way through to the light. And you can't escape it. You can ignore it, you can numb it, you can pretend it doesn't exist, or you can face it and you can allow more light in your life to flow through you, around you and into the lives of the people you love and you care about and into the projects you want to create on this earth. If people ask, how is it that you or how does one or us as a collective change the planet or society for the better, it all begins with yourself and going inward. It all begins with your own heart and your own mind. Because if that is not in alignment, if that is not open, if that is not clear, nothing will change because that is the most powerful ripple that you can impact the world with is beginning with you next with the ones you love and then the work you do. That's it for now. All right, guys, again, thank you for being here. You fucking rock. Go be fam. I will see you on the next one.